0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Assistant Director of Strength and Conditioning at the University of Missouri, Brian Mann. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 24 of the Pace of Performance podcast. Again, really excited to have another great guest on the show today in Brian Mann. Brian is the Assistant Director of Strength and Conditioning at the University of Missouri. And recently, i had been reading a blog post by Keir Wenham-Flatt uh, about the APRE method. And it got me thinking that I'd used the uh, similar protocol in, well, the same name, uh, DAPRE method a couple of years ago so I wanted to refresh my memory Um, so I looked it up and found that Brian was the go-to guy when it comes to APRE so I thought I'd get him on the show to discuss that so Brian discusses that at length uh, how it can be used, where it can be used, who it can be used for we also get into a discussion about bar speed and Brian really breaks down how bar speed can be used for uh, different training methods and after discussing at length with Kyle Vale uh, on a previous episode his go-to piece of technology when it comes to velocity based training I asked Brian which are, his, um, which are his go-to bits of, of kit so we discussed the Tendo, uh, we discussed Gym Aware, and we also touch on um, push strength and their push band but just before we get into the chat with Brian I'd just like to thank the guys that have been in touch over the last couple of weeks just with the great positive feedback I've been getting from the podcast. If anyone does have any suggestions for guys that they want to hear on the podcast, please do get in touch. Um, I'd really appreciate that. If you do want to listen to previous episodes of the podcast, you can go over to pacingperformance.co.uk. I'll also be putting some show notes on from each, each podcast. So any links that are mentioned, I know there's plenty in, the, uh, in this episode coming up with Brian. I'll put links on there so you can easily uh, access papers and, and books and things like that, anything that's mentioned in the in the episode. You can also subscribe on iTunes, and if you'd be so kind to leave a, a rating and a review on iTunes, that would be mas- massively appreciated. All these links will be on the, on the website, on the paceperformance.co.uk, and you can subscribe on, on YouTube as well um, via the website. And without me talking anymore, here is the interview with Brian Mann. Okay. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Really excited this evening, or this afternoon in Brian's case, to get Brian Mann on the phone. So welcome to the podcast, Brian. Uh, Thanks for having me, Rob. I'm uh, I'm honored to be here. Cool. So just before we get started, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a background uh, on yourself, your experience, your education, and what you're currently doing?
1: Uh, well, my background, uh, my background is in powerlifting competitively. Uh, I wasn't a very good athlete. I wasn't very quick, but I could, you know, lift a lot of weight. So I went into that sport and did, did pretty well. Uh, then, let's see, academically, right now I'm a, I've am got my Ph.D. Uh, I'm an assistant professor here at the University of Missouri over in the United States. And I'm um, assistant director of strength and conditioning. I actually work with the uh, soccer team here, which you guys call football or football. Um, Let's see. Yeah, kind of run-of-the-mill sort of thing. I, there's not a whole lot super interesting. Uh, I got into strength training because of uh, – yeah, I got into strength and conditioning. I guess this is kind of interesting uh, because I was at the right place at the right time. I was sitting there studying, and a guy that just got the assistant job today with the Chicago Bears uh, came up to me and said, Hey, you're a big guy. You lift weights? I'm like, yeah, I'm a power lifter. He's like, well, I can't pay anything, but you want a job? So that's how I got into strength and conditioning. I was just sitting, studying, and at the right place at the right time. Cool. Sounds very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm fortunate.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: strength and conditioning wise, I've been doing this for 16 years now uh, at multiple different universities uh, here for the last, since 2004, uh, at Missouri State. Well, basically, yeah, over in the UK,
0: you guys won't know any of these universities. So just, <laughs> wow. So how did the um, getting involved in the soccer program come about, or football program?
1: Well, uh, man, I just got, basically, you just get assigned. Sports, okay, okay. And uh, I actually have been working with soccer now the whole 16 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I just kind of got into it, and everywhere that I went, they are like, oh, you work with soccer, here you go. <laughs> um, So I've worked with both the men's and the women's side. Currently, it's only the women here. Uh, We don't have a men's team. Uh, Yeah, and it was just the luck of the draw. And I've been real fortunate to be able to keep working with the same team, the same coach now for 10 years. And uh, he's allowed me and paid for me to go to places like uh, Dave Tinney's clinic over in Seattle uh, to be able to learn from some of those people that have come there, like uh, Jan Willem, from iax and uh he's had several europeans over there that i've just learned tremendously from
0: have you had any chance to go to europe i
1: have not yet i actually i need to apply for a passport that's one of the things right. that i want to okay. do okay. you will know, go over there and uh and and learn because technology wise uh you guys are ahead of us yeah you guys in australia i mean uh with the things that you've been doing. I think you know, medically we've done a lot of similar things, but as far as applying some of those things to the sports performance realm, we haven't done the greatest job of yet. But we're
0: getting, you know, we're getting there quickly. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So I just want to take you back. Uh, I don't know what year it, um, it got published, but back to your PhD days. I, yes. want to, I want to discuss the APRE with you. Can you tell yeah, us? A, can you tell us a little bit about um, APRE?
1: Yeah, you know, I could give you the whole uh, history of strength training here if you want. Let's go. All right, brother. So <laughs> it all started with a guy named Captain Thomas DeLorme. So most people don't realize, but let me ask you this real quick. If you were to give somebody an exercise program, just the average Joe off the street, and you gave them like squats, benches, lat pulldowns, triceps, and biceps, what would the sets and reps be for each of those exercises? Three by 10. Three by 10. Great. <laughs> Perfect. So this is where it came from. So Captain Thomas DeLorme was a U.S. Army surgeon. He was a weightlifter himself, and he dealt a lot with femoral fractures. So what would happen is these guys, initially, this is way back in the 20s, I think, they would uh, have their femoral fracture, they would get casted up, they would get the cast cut off of them, they'd smack them on the rear end and tell them get out there back to active duty. Well. We all know that that person can't hang. I mean, they wouldn't be able to keep up with everybody. Uh, they would have tremendous amounts of atrophy. Well, uh, Captain DeLorme decided that he thought it would be a good idea to start doing some strength training with them. So he melted down some things and made some of those little uh, shoe plate weight things, you know, the strap to the bottom of the shoes. Yeah, yeah. And he just gave them the three sets of ten. He had three plates. So that's where the three sets came from. Um uh, Then later on, a guy named Dr. Kenneth Knight took that protocol, that three sets of 10, you know, first set was 50% of your 10RM, second set was 75% of your 10RM, and third set was as many reps as you could do with your 10RM. And he had many therapists that worked underneath him. He was also, he was a knee surgeon. Well, he was an orthopedic surgeon, and he focused a lot on the knee. And then uh, he took DeLorme's original three sets of 10 protocol which is either called, DeLorme called it the PRE or Progressive Resistance Exercise Protocol. Um, other people refer to it as the DeLorme method. And he took that and he added on a fourth set. And be, and he also added on an adjustment chart. You see, DeLorme never did that. And with having multiple therapists under him, he wanted to make sure that the patients got the same care. So he ensured that by giving them, everybody got a chart. So. I wasn't super aggressive at giving 20 pounds. You were more conservative giving 10. Every person, no matter who they saw, would get the same changes. He also added on a six-rep protocol, which this came out, and I believe it was either 78 or 84. I can't remember when, when that publication came out. but um, And they just kind of noted that the hypertrophy gains and the strength gains were not congruent. The hypertrophy gains were much higher than the, I'm sorry, I said that backwards, the strength gains were much higher than the hypertrophy. Whereas with the 10RM, it was kind of a one-to-one, you know, a very linear relationship where it was more steep whenever they were doing the APR, uh, the DAPRI, the six rep protocol. And uh, Knight named it the DAPRI. He wanted to keep that PRE from DeLorme, but he called it daily adjustable progressive resistance exercise. Then uh, Mel Sift got a hold of it. I'm assuming it Mel Siff, because there's a big, you know, I haven't seen anything in the meantime between Siff's super training and Knight's DAPR. And Siff added on a th- uh, three rep protocol. So then that became a three, six and a 10. And uh, that was in his book, Super Training. And uh, he dropped off the D from daily and called it auto-regulatory progressive resistance exercise protocol. So I happen to be uh, reading through Super Training because a guy named Thomas Lensky, who's uh really sharp guy over here in the States. He, uh, he said, Hey, you got to read this book. I read it. I found the APRE in there. And, uh, I had probably women's soccer and field hockey at the time. And I had them use it. I was like, what the heck? Let's, let's go ahead. One of the things over here is that uh, American football is our big, you know, marquee sport. So with, with them, you go with everything that, you know, that works, you take some of the smaller teams and then you can, play around with them because if you mess up no big deal that's not where the money's coming from so uh interestingly after five or six weeks of doing the apre six rep protocol my female athletes were doing six reps with their old one rm that we have been using with the traditional periodization so uh I took that piece of knowledge from whenever I was an undergraduate in the first year of my master's program. And whenever I came here to the University of Missouri, we were trying to find a way to get guys a lot stronger, to be able to compete in the Big 12 at the time with the conference that we were in. And uh, I proposed the APRE again. And so what we did was we just, in my uh, PhD uh, dissertation, that's what I'm looking for, was based off of this. And one year we did the just traditional linear periodization that we had done, you know, percentage-based program. And then the next year we did uh, the APRE, and that was the only change in the program. Whereas the previous year, the linear periodization, the guys were getting, you know, five pounds up in the five-week period, not bad. But they were seeing tremendous gains, 25, 30, 40 pounds on their squats, their cleans, their benches. Within just that same period, the next year with the APRE, so it was just simply uh, for those that don't know about the the APRE, uh, basically it's a, a thing where everybody your third tip set determines your fourth, and your fourth set determines the way that you'll do the following week, following session. However, you you happen to want to to progress it, uh, it allows those who are quick responders to increase more quickly, and the slow responders to increase more slowly. You know, everybody gains strength at different rates, so we don't want to push people too fast and overtrain them, and we don't want to go too slow and drag our feet on other people and have them not make the gains that they could. So uh, it's something that we've just found has been extremely effective, and now we've been doing it for nine years, I believe, wow. with, uh, with a lot of our athletes here at
0: the university. Right. So would you, would you implement that just for your core lifts, or would that go down, down the whole program?
1: Personally, I just use it for my core lifts. Okay. Uh, it, I don't think that it's worth the uh, the energy to do it on a lot of the smaller exercises. Mm-hmm. The, the way I see it is if it's one of my core exercises, one of my ones that matter, I'm going to try and use that to progress that and build that exercise. I'm not going to spend that sort of time and that sort of energy doing it on like a bicep curl. Or yeah, yeah. Lateral raise, something like that.
0: So what was the what was the buying like from the the players when this was introduced? Well,
1: you know, it was uh, the buying was actually interesting. It was incredible because it was the first time that they were given autonomy. Yeah. And whatever we gave that and we gave it to them in a manner that it was positive and encouraging, and they absolutely loved it. Yeah, and but- they were in. They're like, I get to determine how quick I can move up. This is awesome. I held my own destiny in my own hands. This is great. Now, I know that a lot of people who have read that study that came out in 08, I think it was, uh, have said, well, this is just clearly a poor periodization plan versus this other. It's like, you know, if it was poor periodization, it wasn't because we intended it to. I mean, you know, American football is a – at that time, it was for for our institution, it was a $20 million business. We're not going to try and make a mistake on a $20 million. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so if it was a poor periodization scheme, so be it. But I know what did happen is that whenever we went with the auto regulation, we saw fantastic gains. So if they were dead from running or dead from other things, they weren't moving up. We weren't trying to push them and overshoot them. Uh, yeah, it kind of. It's kind of a little bit like. Uh, you, have you seen uh uh review on velocity based
0: training? I have. He came, he, yeah, he came on to I think he was like episode five or six.
1: Oh, I got that yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Do mate, do. So. <laughs> Uh, but
1: yeah, he had that. You know, some weeks, whenever he had tested their, uh, their 1RM by velocity, some weeks their pre tested 1RM, it was like 120 kilos was a pre test. And some days their predicted was like 140 kilos or 80 kilos or something like that. So any given day, you can overshoot or undershoot. And the APRE is kind of the strength version of that velocity.
0: Okay. Cool. I just want to move on a little bit. Yes. Yeah, um, so no, 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 no. Um, so there's other methods of uh, auto-regulatory training, such as uh, RPEs. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does APRE differ? Is its is its RPE method something that you've played around with or used in the past?
1: You know, the RPE, I actually just use that to determine my total training loads. Okay. Uh, I, I don't assign loads unless it is on an assistance exercise using RPE. With the APRE, I'm wanting them to push themselves to the limit. With the RPE I might be like, okay, let's make this exercise a seven out of 10 today. Right? this you know yesterday was a rough day. pick a weight that's a five out of ten and uh, that's whenever I use the RPEs. Now I know that there are some people who've got great successes utilizing those but I think that that training by the RPE is best done whenever somebody is uh, that weightlifting is their sport. You know, so that they understand those intensities. Unfortunately, I don't know how things are over in the, in the UK, but most of my soccer players and a lot of my football players, they're very much novice and start training. Yeah, yeah. They don't understand what heavy is. So training by RPE for, for them is a, a little difficult.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to ask your opinion on whether it's, um, whether it's appropriate for, for guys who are starting out because that 7 out of 10 means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right. Yeah. Um, just moving on again a little bit uh, with regards to to bar speed. Uh, we've had a couple of different guys on. We uh, had Carl Vail on who discussed it at length. Um, I just want to get your well tie in tie bar speed in with the APRE. Can can they be used together?
1: You know what? I have used them together and it has worked fantastically. I used it with our throwers, our shot putters, discus, and uh, hammer throwers. And I did it for the Olympic lifts. So whatever, you know, normally you just have to stand up with a weight for an Olympic lift to count, right? Well, this, we had to stand up at the appropriate velocity. So we got this high accumulation of this high quality of training. And the results that they saw in the ring, uh, coaches at other schools were begging to know what we were doing. Uh, And the head coach said that there were just, there were like different kids in the ring because they were so much faster and able to put the force into the uh the implements so much faster in the ring that they were seeing great changes in their throws we had people pring and getting personal records in their first meet of the year and they just continued
0: throughout the year that we did that Mm. i think i've jumped ahead a little bit just in case um people are kind of uh unbeknownst to the kind of the bar speed would you mind just giving us a bit of a background on the kind of categories that you use and have talked about in the past?
1: Right. Okay. So with the, uh, every trait has got a different velocity, right? So if you're looking at, um, a, let's just go with some of the main ones that people usually look at. So strength speed for a standard lift, like a – I say standard like squat, bench press, deadlift, et cetera. Strength speed, you'd be looking at about 0.75 to 1.0 meters per second. That was corroborated not only by – well, that initially was found by Roman, I believe, and in the management training of the weightlifter, and it's been corroborated by many different people since then. Interestingly enough, Joseph and Jindaka, probably butchering that. I apologize because this (laughs) is over in Europe, so you guys actually know how to say those Uh, (laughs) things. If it was Smith, man, I'm good. Yeah, you go. good. <laughs> uh, they found the exact same velocities, even though they referred to them as a different name. That was velocity load and load velocity, or low velocity with strength speed. Uh, then uh, Sanchez Medina, et cetera, where they found the exact same velocity. So I thought that was, it's like, hey, that's cool. They're right on. This is from the you know, 1960s in the Soviets, and they're finding the same things today. Uh, then there's speed strength. And that is uh, strength speed can be uh, defined as strength conditions of speed. So you're moving, trying to move a heavy weight as fast as you can, but you're never really going to move it super fast. Uh, Speed strength is speed and conditions of strength, or you're moving a lighter lighter weight faster. So speed and conditions of strength. Um, You're looking at like about 1.1 to 1.3, 1.4, depending on the movement. Uh, Olympic lifts have got their own movements or velocities. They should all be, uh, you know, they'll all be speed strength. Then, above that 1.3, 1.4 ish, you're really starting to look at starting strength, as Anatoly Bondarchuk defined it, where you're moving, you're trying to overcome inertia very rapidly. So, it's very, very low intensity, low external resistance, super high velocity. So, starting from a dead stop at like 1.4 meters per second. Uh, Going on the slower end, you've really got accelerative strength, which is about 0.5 to 0.75 meters per second. And uh, below that, you get into the circumax max and absolute strength. So it down to about 0.3 meters per second, according to, I believe it was an East study, uh, for squat and 0.15 meters per second for bench press. And it's all dependent upon the amplitude of motion. You've got a movement that moves through a greater range of motion, or you got somebody who's like seven feet tall, their velocity ranges might vary a little bit, uh, but it all you know ballpark about the
0: same. Mm-hmm. So, is there any um, references that is kind of gives a clear outline that I can add to the add to the site so people can have a look?
1: You know, I've got uh, on EliteFTS.com okay. put out a couple of articles there on it, and I've referenced all the materials, the gear, the the etc. Uh, I've got an ebook on it that's on that website, and it's also on Amazon. Um, so there's, uh, there's some stuff that's out there. And then beyond that, you could look at the, the research studies. Uh, most of the stuff by Jindaka and Jindalsev are in their native languages. Uh, fortunately I had a swimmer that was from there that could read it. So they read it to me and I had to write it down and figure out what they were saying. And I was like, yes, they're saying them right. Uh, but that's, uh, that's what's going on there. And, you know, uh, Mladen's paper. Uh, from the ASCA, he does a great job in that as well, explaining some things, especially the uh, velocity profile. Uh, he did the best job explaining that that I could ever hope for. Uh, he did a lot better than I could. Have.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what, when it comes to derivatives of the um, the Olympic lifts, how does uh-huh. that, how does that differ?
1: Does, is it okay. which
0: category does that fall in? The regular exercise or the Olympic lifts?
1: So the Olympic lift derivatives, I usually just count them as the uh, whatever the Olympic lift is, except for okay. a pull uh the just the initial first pull well i guess it's second pull not all the way coming up to the top they, which we call a high pull here yeah yeah. i don't know what they ksca would call it but like a regular pull would be at like 1.15 to 1.3 meters per second whereas the high pull i would go with just about the velocity that uh is uh determined for the lift and right now uh and i don't know if Milad has, has talked about this or not whenever you know i'm here I am uh, you know, talking about him a lot and I haven't even heard him on your podcast <laughs> but, uh, I uh, I recommend that people use the peak velocities for Olympic lifts because the only thing that matters is the top of the second pull so if you are looking at average velocity well that's the average of the beginning to the end of the exercise right so a lot of our guys have got orthopedic issues on the football team etc or even the throwers they uh, might have a hard time with the rack or getting their shooting their arms through or something like that, which slows down the uh, overall or increases the time spent in the movement, which decreases the average velocity. Yeah. The course. peak was money, but they're average. So we've uh, we've gone to the peak velocity with that understanding, that realization that, hey,
0: this is the only part that matters. Let's just go ahead and go with peak. Mm-hmm. So you so go for, what would you, how would that differ for your, what you call regular exercises?
1: The regular exercises, the average velocity is much more important because you spend 36% of the time in acceleration, 64% of the time in deceleration. Uh, as been That's been found by a couple of different people. If you want the studies, I can go find them. I can't recall uh, off the that's top cool. of my head.
0: That's cool. But uh,
1: the average velocity is much more stable for them. With the Olympic lifts, there's only that one moment that matters. That's why the peak is the the main main portion there.
0: Uh-huh. Just to go back to the question that I asked with regards to the APRE, is that something you'd is, – is bar speed something you just obviously concentrate on for your, your core lifts? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't worry about it for, for anything else. You know, I always just go with the most bang for my buck. Uh, the other things, I, I while they'll matter, and especially if you're trying to bring up the weak link, it really matters, but to say that I'm going to go put a gym aware on a bicep curl, uh, measure the velocity of a hip thrust, Man, I'm not doing that.
0: Yeah. So you, you mentioned GymAware There is there any um, is that your kind of go-to device, or is there any any of the things that you've used or recommend?
1: Uh, you know, I, I really like the GymAware. Uh, okay. Evan has gotten in touch with me recently, uh, and thought that, and he sent them to me. And the capabilities that it has are awesome. You know The uh, how it monitors everything. Uh, I've used in the past for a long time. I used the Tendo and absolutely loved it. Very simple, linear positions transducer. Uh, it doesn't really hold a, uh, hold a candle to the, the capabilities that gymware has with the different measurements and calculations that it does, as well as storing all the data for you, which, man. Through, so we just, uh, last week, two weeks ago now, I went up to a, a Division II, a smaller university in the area. They happen to be doing 1RM testing and, in the past, anytime I wanted to do something, I'd sit there with a pencil and paper and you know try to record everything. And with the gym where I just hit the guy's name, entered the weight, done. Nice, it did nice. for me. It was fantastic. Cool. Uh, cool. those are the two main ones that I've used quite a bit. I played around a little bit with the push strength, and it's great for uh, getting feedback on if you're moving the intensities faster and slower. And it's the accelerometer based instead of a linear positions transducer. So it's gonna have cool. some different Ways of calculating things. I think it's a, I think it's a good product, and I think it'll be great uh, on down the line. I mean, you've got to do a little bit more with the algorithms than you do with uh, linear precision transducer. I mean, basically, those are a. It's crude. It's like a stopwatch and a tape measure. Right. Job done, and it's right every time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was going to actually ask you about the push band because um, I think the guy I can't remember his name um, behind it was on with Coach Dose and Will Fleming on their podcast. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um so I was just gonna ask you about that. But is that something is that something you kind of uh you'd recommend or obviously it's gonna be a lot cheaper than the gym aware?
1: It's a lot cheaper. And um I think that it's got a great price point and then they've got a great means of what they're trying to push with the education. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a decent product, you know. I don't wanna say anything bad about it. No, no, no. Oh, it's a good product. Is it, uh, you know, as accurate as the gym aware for my needs? No, it's not. But if I were to say, hey, I need you to go home and uh, do these exercises. Well, here, take the take the push because I want you to do some velocity stuff to make sure you're moving fast. Uh, I, it's it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think it's a good product. It's just, you know, gym and really serves my needs.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was, I was speaking to um, a guy who was on one of the previous episodes of the podcast, uh, one of the soccer guys, and okay. I told him I was speaking to you tonight, and he asked me to uh, mention uh, bar speed when it comes to single leg work. Any, okay. any thoughts on that? Would you include, you know, would, would bar speed be, be important with that kind of uh, exercises? It really depends.
1: Okay. Uh, several years ago, I think it was 2000, getting ready for the 2004 Olympics. I was working with a uh, triple jumper, and I was wanting to make sure that whatever we did didn't slow him down. Uh, and on his step ups and his sports, I was actually throwing a tendo on there and, and uh, adjusting his load by velocity, because I wanted to stay in that specificity. Uh, and that's one of the things that using velocity really allows you to do is that um, since your 1RM changes daily, as we've talked about with Muladden we were making sure that we're using the right load to be able to approach the right trait, being strength speed or speed strength for them uh, on that day. Uh, so can you do it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's no different. I mean, if you would program and do a percentage of 1RM on single leg stuff, then you can use Velocity on it, As long as you attach it to the bar. Uh, t- if you attach it to a t- uh, like the person's waist then you're actually measuring body velocity, and that recent study by, I think it was like Volick and McBride, showed that even on an exercise as simple as a deadlift, that the uh, bar velocity and the body velocity were different. So I always just stick with bar velocity because I know what I'm looking at there. That body velocity, that's a whole new can of worms, and it, it'll take a, a lot of data and a lot of years to figure out what, uh, what's going on there. So maybe I'm behind the times, maybe I'm being... Uh, you know, getting that old man syndrome going on now. But, you know, I'm going to stick with bar velocity because I know what I'm looking
0: at. Yeah. And and then um, the threshold would fit into just your general strength exercise that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
1: And you know what? Actually, I say absolutely. That's what I did. Is okay. that necessarily right? I don't know. <laughs> this jumps got better. I yeah,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, you know, as far as is that the best thing in the world to do?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: I don't but I know it worked.
0: Yeah, cool. Just last couple of things before I uh, let you go. Um, guys in the industry that have influenced your practice the most?
1: Oh, wow, yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, one of them actually just got the job with the uh, Chicago Bears, like I said, Rick Perry. Yeah. Uh, you know, He brought me in, and uh, he had this huge library. Well, it was huge to me at the time of these translated Soviet texts. And he encouraged me to read all of them. And, you know, I had to go and to learn, uh, you know, Thomas Linsky with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The guy is an absolute genius. Uh, Buddy Morris, who's now with the Arizona Cardinals. And those are two NFL teams. Uh, I got to intern for Joe Ken, uh who's a big time strength coach over here in the States. He's been to the UKS. Yeah, a- he came this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I interned for him and he's been a tremendous influence to me. Uh, Louis Simmons, you know, love him, hate him, he makes you think. It kind of reminds me of Mike Boyle, but he's more on the meathead side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was doing the unilateral stuff, and I might not agree with him every time, but he makes me think. Uh, Louis is the same thing towards the powerlifting, and my background being powerlifting, of course, you know, I did a lot of the West Side Barbell stuff. Uh, let's see, I mentioned Joe Ken, Marco Ayama, who was out there at the time, now he's with the 49ers. Uh, he was my direct supervisor. I learned a lot from him. Uh, you know, there's some, several researchers out there. There's a guy named, uh, Mike Stone. Everybody knows who Mike Stone, who's training, uh, uh, love him or hate him as well. I mean, Mike Stone's Mike Stone, he's going to shoot you straight. <laughs> and uh, he's challenged me a lot to, to grow and to, you know, prove any point that I had, uh, along those lines, Greg Hoff, who is now the president of the NSCA. He's down at Edith Cowan University currently. Um, same sort of thing. Andy Fry, Dr. Andrew Fry, if you've looked at overtraining stuff, you've probably seen his name. Uh, he's been, uh, from, interesting thing about him is the, he's helped me not only on the coaching side, but the academic side as well to meld those two together. And he's done a wonderful job of that at KU. I know that, at least in the States, that uh, test cortisol ratio that they did during the entire basketball season, that hit big over here in the news. I don't know if it did over there. Uh, but he's made waves here in the States. Uh you know, Pat Ivey, my boss here, has taught uh, he's been a big mentor for me. You know, I guess it would be as long as I've talked, it's easier to talk about who hasn't influenced me <laughs> yeah. But there's been and I, you know, I feel bad for talking so much about some people because I know I've forgotten a lot. Uh and and I feel bad because I wanna have somebody's gonna call me up be like, Hey, why didn't you mention Like, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just straight up
0: forgot. No, it's cool. Not to rob uh, Ron McKee little kind of roundup of his podcast, but I'm reading um, blogs from uh, Steve Magnus and a couple of others. Is there, any, is there any ones that you kind of keep in touch with weekly or monthly or whether they come out?
1: Well, you know, I've, I'm always reading Elite FTS. Uh, you know, that's, uh, I've been reading them since 2000. So out of habit, I read them, and then honestly, what I usually do is I just sounds kind of bad, but I just use Twitter for, yeah, for yeah. a lot. You know, I'll let people read everything, and then they'll pop something up, and if there's something that I read a few times, then I'll start going to their their blog and like uh, Maaden There's complimentary training. I've been going to that a lot. I mean, that guy's free. That guy's sharp, man. He's yeah, a PhD. So. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I just use Twitter and then Facebook for those articles that people are posting. I'm kind of letting them be my filter, so then I only go to the really good stuff because I don't have time. So uh, I'm reading all these journal articles and, you know, trying to write and coach and research. I wish I had more time to read the blogs, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah.
0: I just don't. That's cool. You mentioned uh, when we spoke a couple of days ago, we had a little se- You called it a semi funny story. Sorry, what, a semi-funny story, how you oh, got about, into it. About the uh,
1: velocity-based training, how I got in touch with that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, people usually love this. Yeah, <laughs> all right. So we. Uh, long story short, I got some experience with Rick with it. Um, Louis Simmons had just written an article on Nintendo, and we had gone up there, and I had noticed a lot of the velocities uh, in the Roman text, which I referenced in my, my uh, little manual Uh, so to speak. And, uh, well, we came up, I came up here to Missouri, and I was working on my dissertation. I had my first, you know, it was my first full-time job, my first year full-time job, and I'm also first year in my PhD program. And I'm traveling with women's basketball, and I know that I'm going to be on the road whenever this paper is due. It's a 25-page mini-thesis. Well, I decided to do something I'd never done before. I didn't procrastinate. I just got straight out and I wrote this. We're supposed to write it on something that we gave a rip about. So I picked on uh, how the, the uh, vertical jump is related to improvements in the Olympic lifts. You do an Olympic lifts for speed strength, vertical jump is a measure of explosive strength, which is related to speed strength. Ergo, improvements in clean should make the, your vertical jump going. So I'm kicking back and writing, you know, waiting for this backward stepwise logistic regression to yeah. learn how to do that. and go uh, run my stats, plug it into the paper, the 25 page paper that I already wrote and be done for the semester. When well, the magic day comes around, we learn how to do it. I take my little flash drive, go over to the computer lab, run it all, and I obviously I ran something wrong. I'm finding no relationship. And then uh, I call up a, a friend of mine in the class who was way smarter than me and way better looking than me. And, uh, I was like, Hey, Sarah, why don't you, uh, you help me do this. And so she comes over and she runs it, finds the same thing. So obviously she's not as smart as I think she is. So I take it to the professor and, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with American universities, but this guy had degrees from, uh, Stanford, Princeton, and Yale, which okay. are, I mean, they're like Oxford, Cambridge yeah, of course. Yeah. places. yeah. Um, the, and he said, uh, he set me down, and we looked at every single thing, the coding, et cetera, and we re-ran it, and he's like, "This is this not what you expected? I go, no. Clean was not related to it at all. It was squat and body composition. So that made a step back, and I, I brought it to Coach Ivy. And, uh, you know, long story short, I, I could go on and on about this because it's really like a ten, another 10-minute ten story, but I know we're over time here. Uh, basically we found out that, uh, we had to take a step back and we saw that, why are we doing cleans? If we're doing cleans to improve explosive strength, that's not why it's That's not what's happening. So why are we doing them then? So I brought up the experience that I had with velocity and we started implementing it with the Olympic lifts, uh, with the clean specifically. And uh, a year goes by, we rerun the analysis, and it does become a significant relationship. See, our our cleans, whenever we threw them on, the guy's the first time. The uh, hang clean was supposed to be moving, at the time we were looking at average velocity, at 1.4 meters per second. The guy that we threw it on was moving at 0.6 meters per second. So here we are expecting the adaptation of speed strength, but the demand that we imposed was... Accelerative strength. We were wishing in one hand, shitting in the other, and you can see which <laughs> one filled up first. So, but whenever we did the velocity, then it became a relationship. You know, the first was uh, improvement in squat strength. The second strength was uh, improvement in body composition, and then clean became a significant factor in the regression equation for predicting improvements in vertical jumping. Um, So that was, uh, that's how we really got to To use it and utilize it, and it's something that we saw that hey, this leads to a better transfer of training. Why are we doing something if it doesn't transfer? It is a waste of our time. So that's uh, really the kind of start that we got into sports science of sorts. It's been through velocity.
0: Cool, I like it. So, where can uh, where can people get in touch with with yourself and find you on Twitter, email, Facebook?
1: Yeah, so uh Twitter uh at J Brian mann J B R Y A N M A N N. The only correct way to spoke. Brian. Yeah, of course. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and then we've got uh Ben on on Facebook. It's the there's several Brian Mann out there, but the guy with the bench shirt on looking like this, you know, the real one in front of him. Yeah, the real one. Yeah, yeah. Um uh, and then my email is uh M-A-N-N, J as in James B as in Brian at health dot missouri dot edu. Uh, Um, lately I've been getting about, you know, between teaching and researching and organizations and I'm in and everything, I've been getting about 250 emails a day. I try and get back to everybody. How many? 250 is what I make Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them I don't have to worry about. It's just information. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot of people who've been asking questions. I try and get to everybody, but if I don't get to you within three days, email me again. I just simply, I I didn't see it. Mm. I overlooked it. And I might accidentally hit delete or something. I, it wasn't personal. I've Had some people, you know, call me or see me in a conversation. Hey, you never answered my email. I'm like, dude, sorry, I just yeah. didn't. see it. So
0: cool. No, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, Brian.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. I,
0: yeah, I appreciate it. I enjoyed this for your podcast. It's been great. Thank you very much. Thank um, you. And I will. Um, I'll stick. I'll stick as many. I know you've referenced quite a lot, so I'll stick as many as I can um so people can have a little have a little look at what you've been speaking about um i'll also link it back to your your phd as well so people can have a little look through that fantastic thank you sir and i will thank you again for your time and i will speak to you soon yes sir thank you very much see you mate all right Thanks for tuning in to episode 24 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Brian. I was going to do a little roundup and a summary of what Brian had been talking about, but I think a better idea would be to click on some of the links that I've put next to the next to the episode on PaceyPerformance.co.uk, and that'll give Brian's words um, in FTS and a couple of his uh, of papers as well as his his PhD that looked at the differences between APRE and traditional linear periodisation. Just as a reminder, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on the podcast if you follow me on Twitter at Perform. Also keep checking back to PaceyPerformance.co.uk and you can check out all the previous episodes of the podcast on there. Please feel free to drop me a message and recommend any guys that you want to hear on the podcast. And it'd be really appreciated if you could leave a comment, a comment, and a review on iTunes, uh, and that would really help the ratings uh, and get people, more people listening to the podcast. And that's it. And I will check you in episode twenty-five.